everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Glad you guys are here today. If you didn't grab a Bible on your way in or if you didn't bring one from home, I would love for you to read along with us. There are Bibles in the back on those carts, and we'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 today. Um, One of the things that changed at the beginning of this year is we tweaked the way the service flows. And for me, one of the impacts is that it feels more like church is something we're doing together. I don't know if you felt that same way. One of the things we want to always fight here at the Vineyard is a consumer mindset when it comes to church. Like church isn't a uh, a religious service where you only receive, but it's a it's a place where you're connected to other people and pray for other people and do life together. And so what we've been doing the last few weeks and will continue to do is we've been walking through each of the things that we do on a Sunday morning. This series is called God Experience. And it's not, again, only ways that we receive, but there's sort of a conversation that goes on every Sunday morning where God is speaking and then we're responding. And so like when I'm, when I'm reading from the Bible, that's, that's God's words to us. But when we worship and when we give, And when we pray for each other, like we're speaking back to God, or maybe there's a dynamic where, for instance, in worship, we're singing to God, but that's one of the places, at least for me, where I hear God's voice the best. And so if if you look, uh, we've got where we've been and where we're headed. Um, Today we're talking about giving, and I'll tell you, people thought I was going to be a preacher from a very young age. So my dad was a church janitor. And it was one of these big churches with stained glass and pews. And so when my dad would clean the church, uh, and it was a way for him to kind of add to his farmer income. But when my dad would clean the church, I would play in the pews. And one day I go up onto the stage and I stand behind, you know, this big wooden pulpit. And I say, thank you, I'm little, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please send money. (laughs) So... uh, as we, as we talk about giving, I, I want you to know, like, it's a little bit uncomfortable for me. Like, I have butterflies in my stomach today because I know that there's a, a bad reputation, uh, especially because of some of the preachers we've maybe seen on TV where it's like, if you give me money, then you'll be blessed uh, financially. Like, there's a prosperity gospel out there that says, if you give to your church, then God will give you that money back and more. And that's not actually the promise. And that's not actually the goal uh, of giving. Uh, But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how we give and why we give and how it helps us understand who God is. And so if you uh, are open to 2 Corinthians, I would invite you to stand. Or even even if you're not reading long, please stand. My friend Ray is going to come up and he'll be reading. Uh, Could someone run that mic down for me? quickly. Uh, Laura, or yeah, thanks, Danny. Come up on stage. And so we stand in order to honor God. These are his words as he speaks to us.
Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Do you have a few more? Further? Uh, yeah, two verse, through verse 11. Sorry. Here you go. Okay. Your printer failed you, so you read through verse 8 and verse 9 is right there. Or you read through verse 9. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources, then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. That's, that's great. You guys may be seated. I may have told you the wrong verses. That's maybe my fault. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so let me just pray. God, we ask that these words would take seed in our hearts. Just as there's a, a metaphor of planting seeds as we give, we ask that uh, like your spirit would water what has been spoken and produce fruit in our lives. Uh, and as I speak, I pray just that anything that I might say that would be untrue would be forgotten, but uh, the things that are true, let them uh, have an impact and change us and help our hearts to grow. Amen. Okay, so uh, you were listening. You heard the words. How do we give? That's the first question. What did you hear? God loves a cheerful giver. And the other word that came up at least once, twice, and if you look at the bigger passage, there's actually two long chapters on giving. It's generously or even sacrificially. So God loves a cheerful giver and the way we give is generously and sacrificially. But think for a moment, like if you're not someone who gives cheerfully, what's going on inside of you? Why is it hard to give? Anybody? Afraid. We're afraid. That's, I mean, that's really true. We're afraid that if we give, we won't have enough. We're stingy. We're stingy. Okay, so I'm Dutch, and the, the virtue of the Dutch people is frugality. Uh, but that can easily become stinginess. Like we like to keep our money in our bank account at all times. I think one of the reasons, and this is what Jesus would teach also, in addition to what was said, is that we love money. And our love for money competes with our love for people as well as competing with our love for God. So next question how much does this passage teach us to give? As much as you can. It doesn't actually give an amount, right? It doesn't give a percentage in this passage. It says, actually, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. But in the beginning of verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And so it's actually a heart condition. So uh, we, we have uh, two offerings here at the vineyard. One goes to the mission of the church, and the other one is the 
Four Corners Offering. Can, any, can anybody remember why we call it the Four Corners Offering? Yes, so the Four Corners, could you actually, are you willing to come up here and tell us what you remember about the Four Corners Offering? Could you do that, right? Okay. This is fun. You guys having fun? Um, yeah, I'm having a great time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, in the uh, days of Leviticus, um, people would plant their crops and go out and harvest the fields, and they were instructed to not gather every drop that falls on the ground, but leave it for those less fortunate. So that's where the four corners idea comes from. Uh, don't keep it all. You can leave some for other people. Yeah, and in particular, on the edges of the field, mm -hmm. leave that for who? For aliens, for, um, I mean, aliens. <laughs> that's, not, that's, not, the, not, that's the King not, James, Rich. Yeah, King James. <laughs> for foreigners, for immigrants, for uh, people who just were less fortunate. Widows, yeah. yeah. Orphans as well, yeah. Thank you. That's great. Good job. So one of the, one of the cool things about the four corners offering or the edges in that command to Leviticus is, again, it doesn't say leave a foot or leave two foot or three feet or, you know, five yards or whatever. But as you walk down a road, you could actually see the generosity of the farmer on display based on how much was left. And so likewise, this, this passage, I think, is pointing us to the fact that the amount you give actually has to do with how expansive your heart is or how generous a person you are. And then if you're giving out of that spacious heart, it's a cheerful gift. Uh, and so God wants you to want to give. And there's, there's actually three different ways that I think the, the New Testament in particular uh, says these places that you give are or can be considered an act of worship, which is really at the root of it all why we give. It is an act of worship, and God loves people who give cheerfully as an act of worship. So the three places are, uh, of course, remembering the poor. Secondly, to sustain uh, places of worship. So for instance, in the Old Testament, they had what they called a tithe. So 10% of all of your crops or of all of your, uh, you know, if you had sheep or if you had if, you know, a banker, then it would be money or whatever, uh, would go to support the Levites who were responsible for worship services. Um, and then thirdly, you find examples of people giving to support uh, groups or people who advance the mission of God, which I think every church is actually called to do. So people who bring the good news about Jesus to their communities, whether that be a missionary or whether that be a local church who, for instance, talks about the love of God every week on a Sunday, or maybe does something even more targeted like the Alpha program, which you could still join if you haven't yet, like what we do on Tuesdays. It's for people who are new to faith, exploring faith, maybe have been coming to church even for years, but don't understand really what it's all about. So in those three ways, we see places where you give as an act of worship. But if you guys would turn to Matthew 23, 23, that's page 1029, or sorry, yes, that's what's going on there. Uh, I, I was remembering also Luke chapter 21. Let me tell you about Luke 21 as you turn to Matthew 23. 
One of the really cool things about giving is, is, is God doesn't actually, again, look at the amount. He looks at the heart of a person. So in Luke 21, there's a story about a widow who drops in two basically pennies uh, contrasted to some rich, like very religious people who are just throwing gobs and gobs of money very loudly to attract attention. And Jesus looks and says, you see that widow? She actually gave more by the kingdom measure than the people who gave the thousands of dollars. And so there's, there's a heart posture. It was, and it was sacrificial for the widow, whereas for the, the rich religious people, it wasn't any skin off their teeth. And so there's, there's this reality where, I mean, it, it doesn't matter how much you have, you have something to give. And it's not to guilt trip you. I'm not saying this to guilt trip you into money. It's to actually draw you toward God in the giving. There's something about where your heart is. So even if it's, you know, 10 bucks a week or 1% of your income, that helps you get to a place, I think, of cheerful giving. And if, if you're not in a place of cheerfulness, it might be because of, I mean, what? It might be because you're Dutch. No, it, like, <laughs> it might be because there's like a, a stinginess or in, in the terms of a Grinch, like your heart has shrunk and you've become afraid and so you've become very possessive. Um, but I think it's, always, it's interesting to just notice uh, in Matthew 23, Jesus notice, or talks again to the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe. Remember, that's what goes to the Levites, even the tiniest income from your herbs and gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. And so there's something going on in the hearts of these religious leaders, but there's also a neglect of the poor. Because there's not, uh, giving to the poor just isn't as flashy, doesn't give you status. Um, And Jesus is saying, like, the tithe is good, but don't neglect giving to the poor. Which is why we, every week, train our hearts to remember the poor through giving to the Four Corners offering. And every week, we have the opportunity, whether you do it online or uh, in the giving baskets to to support this local place of worship. What's my next slide? We learn something about God as we give, because we become like God when we give. We are invited to be a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver. And it comes through really strongly, I think, in two places. So this is the why. What is the motivation? Well, because God is generous. That's why we can also be generous. And so in this passage that Ray read, you you see like... Uh, there, there's a principle of planting, right? And it's actually, as a farmer, if you didn't know what the future held, uh, planting seeds in the ground might feel like throwing them away because these seeds are actually the crop as well, right? This is, if you're throwing wheat into the ground, this is what you might have eaten, but instead you're, you're planting it, you're investing it into a future. 
And again, we're not prosperity gospel people in that we're saying if you give $10, that'll turn into $100. We actually have a much longer view of the human existence than that. There, there is a sense where investing in the kingdom, giving to the poor, supporting the mission of God is an, is an investment in eternity that goes on past our own life. And so as we give, or as we plant in this metaphor, Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians that it is actually verse 10. Did you catch this when it was read? For it is God who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of. Now, you see the word generosity in your NLT? Whenever there's a star in your NLT, it's always worth looking down at the bottom. So you can see where the actual Greek here is what? Righteousness. So having right standing before God. As God saves you, as he changes you to be more like him, there is an eternal harvest of goodness, righteousness that God gives you, that God pours out onto you. But to back up again, to say, well, this is my money, I worked hard for it and I earned it. Well, I mean, that's true in a sense, but what if you were born 500 years ago in the mountains of Tibet? You could work twice as hard as you do today and you'd have a tenth as much. And so the, the, the resources we have, and I mean, in this country in particular, in this county in particular, um, I mean, it's God has given us something. We have not earned it. And so the response of gratitude, but also the sp- response of generosity only makes sense. The second way God is generous is that if you back up to chapter 8, Verse 8, Paul says in this letter to the Corinthians, I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. Verse 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Do you guys know what this is talking about? There's this rich theology of Jesus who is God incarnate. So from before the beginning of time through all of time, even beyond the end of time, uh, Christians believe that God is a trinity. And so one in essence, but three persons. And so they're in this eternal relationship of love and community and joy. And God the Son could have just stayed in that like beautiful space, but chooses to empty himself of all that glory to take on human flesh in the person of Jesus. So if you were to ever read uh, Philippians chapter 2, there's, uh, you know, that's the the song, basically, or the the poetic rendering of what's going on in the incarnation. Like, God Almighty becomes weak, becomes poor, 
even. Not to a noble family, but to a, maybe a, you know, a carpenter and a young girl who can't even afford a nice hotel when they go to register for a census. He, he becomes poor in power and also poor in resources, even according to the world standards. And then he gives up his life on the cross and dies that his forgiveness and grace and love might make us all rich, spiritually speaking. So where we come spiritually bankrupt to a perfectly holy God, he chooses to empty himself in order to make us holy and worthy and loved and lovable. And so God is generous beyond what any of our minds can begin to fathom. With this comes a warning, I think. And it's hidden a little bit in Paul's argument. But if you, if you still have your Bibles open, jump down to verse 15 of chapter 8. Paul is going to be making a reference to a story that uh, anybody who has a Jewish background, or if you were raised in the church, you probably know, but I'll, I'll remind you or tell you. Um, he says in verse 15, as the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. And so this is a reference back to in the wilderness as God's people are being led out of Egypt. Well, there's there's nothing to eat. They left the crops that they had planted in Egypt. And so God provides for them by giving them something called manna. So every morning they'd wake up and there'd be this like sweet little cake bread uh, out on the ground. And they're like, what is this? But they would eat it. Uh, and, and then the next day there would be sweet little cake bread out on the ground. And it was, it was enough for them to live and, and survive. And with one exception on, on the day before the Sabbath, they'd get double. And then it would last them through the Sabbath. But if they tried to hoard that manna, if they're like, ooh, well, the getting's good now, so what if, you know, maybe there's no manna tomorrow, even though God said there would be at least six days a week. I'm going to hoard this. I'm going to set this aside just in case tomorrow doesn't look as good as today does. But do you guys know what happened to that manna? It rotted overnight. It was full of maggots. So here's the warning. If your heart is prone to hoarding, the risk is that in the morning, you might find that it's full of maggots. That over time, the little choices that we make actually turn our hearts away from our generous God who has all the seeds and all the sheep and all the resources and created all of them for our enjoyment. Uh, we, we turn away from that God, from the giver of all good things, toward the love of money, which puts us at risk for a, a Grinch-like heart. That puts us at risk from choosing ourselves and what we can accomplish and what we can do instead of putting our faith or our trust in our generous God. And so let me just say, in my own story, it's not like one day I decided to give 10%. And 10% is not, I don't think, a, like a, a church 
mandate. Although I think there's wisdom in 10%. Um, There's like Old Testament back story, but also 10% is a, like it seems like wisdom, like it's, it's significant, it's sacrificial, but it doesn't, it also doesn't need to put any of us, you know, into a, a place of poverty, uh, le- most likely with, you know, there are always exceptions. And uh, Paul says actually kind of the same thing. He gives some practical advice and this is again, chapter eight, uh, he's, verse 11. It says, given proportion to what you have, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Of course, verse 13, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you. Uh, so, So in my own story, I'll tell you where I started giving. The first time I gave to my church was when I bought a car. And I don't know why this was, but I was 14. I know that sounds crazy that a 14-year-old was driving a car. It was one of those 1990 Ford probes. Does anybody have? You remember this car? So it was super cool because it was a little two-door, but it had those lights that came up and, and down like a Porsche. It was like Porsche. That's exactly what it was like. Um, it was a five-speed and it had a turbo. Um, and anyway... Uh, I started tithing on what my car cost, which was $2,000 back then, which was a lot for a 14-year-old, but not as much as the insurance over the course of a year. (laughs) And uh, so I would tithe on gas and um, the cost of the car and the cost of insurance and whatever. And then uh, I started to become more of a regular giver when I went to a church that did something like the Four Corners offering that we did. So I I would get into the habit of giving and then over time, started giving more and more and more. And I, I mean, I can say genuinely, I, I love giving uh, to our church, and I love giving to the Four Corners, and uh, that's just what God has been up to. I mean, we're talking about over the course of a decade. And so wherever you are, I would say there's actually an invitation to invite God to uh, speak to you about your giving and whether or not <laughs> you're giving cheerfully or reluctantly, or, and or what you w- would ask God to do in your own heart to help you get to a place of cheerful, generous, sacrificial, significant giving. But again, it's not like, I only love you if you give me money. God doesn't actually need your money. What he wants is your heart. And what he has done is you has, he has not only given you the resources you have, he's given you his life in the person of Jesus and his love, which can never be destroyed. It can never rust. It can never depreciate. It will not be affected by inflation. It is eternal and it is perfect love. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.